uh, this summer. We're working through our Fruit of the Spirit series one by one. We're going through each one, um, looking to understand exactly what God has done, is doing as His Spirit produces these things in us. Striving to understand what, what it is, what, what these different aspects of the fruit are, uh, how we've received that fruit, and then how we apply them. And, and the danger in the application component that we're hoping to guard against every week is to recognize that as we are responsible to apply them, we're not trying to drum them up within ourselves. These are the things that the Spirit does in us. Um, there are ways in which every one of them overlap. They're at least intertwined. And so he refers to the singular fruit, uh, and, then, and, and then lists out a number of things. They're all kind of overlapped and intertwined. So if you think back to when Ricky preached uh, about the first aspect of that fruit, um, love, he mentioned, he read from 1 Corinthians 13 that says, love is patient, love is kind. And so there was an immediate connection between the fruits of the Spirit and what love is. So love expresses itself in two other fruits of the Spirit, patience and Kindness, And so, so they're all woven together. They're all intertwined. I would suggest they're more, instead of looking at them individually and saying, I need to become more loving, I need to become more patient, I need to become more kind, the reality is, the, the idea is that when you walk in the Spirit, He's not doing an individual work, but He's, he's painting a, a masterpiece. He's weaving a beautiful tapestry, right? Like these threads are coming together to, to demonstrate one whole. He's making us like God. And so today, uh, this just a reminder as we start, this is his work. This is what he is doing, and we only become this by his work, only by the work of God through Jesus the Son and his Holy Spirit is the fruit of a transformed life produced in his people. We only become these things. This stuff only begins to, to happen in us in a true and real and eternal way because of his Work, the, the work of the Son. The gospel is made clear in Galatians. Paul defends it, but also the sanctification work, the, the transformative work that changes us, takes place as a result of the Spirit continuing to work in God's people. Paul makes that clear that even today, as we look at, you know, so, so we only become loving, we only become peaceful, we only become joyful, we only become these things, and even, even the trait that we're looking at today, we only become kind because God is at work in us. Only by the work of God through Jesus' Son and His Holy Spirit are we able to enjoy God's kindness and represent that kindness in an unkind world. And I'm going to prove that out across the sermon. But we live in a world that's experienced a kindness drought, not a kind of drought, a, a, a drought of kindness, a shortage of kindness. It's scarce in this world People desire it, they want it, they long for it, they demand it really from others, they, they expect it of others, we struggle with it. It was Ellen DeGeneres, I think, that you might remember in her show, that she would end her show every week, um, and, and I didn't watch it a ton, I just, I just know it's true, I've looked it up actually this week to even make sure it was true, she would end her show, be kind to one another. I don't know that she even knew that that's a biblical expression of Christianity, right? I don't know that she connected the two be kind to one another. And then I don't know if you remember a couple of years ago, whether, how much of it's true, I don't know, but, but there's all kinds of reports come out and it really ruined her image that the people that she worked with said she really wasn't a kind person. Well, what that teaches us is that even people who want kindness, who expect it of others, aren't themselves kind because everybody wants it, everybody longs for it, they desire it, but we live in a world that's really unkind. There's never enough of kindness, enough kindness to go around. I'll tell you why I think that is. I think that shortage exists because 
Kindness is really an aspect. It's an attribute of who God is, his nature, his character. We no longer get to enjoy that. We no longer represent it. We no longer reflect it in our nature, in who we are as image bearers of God, because we are fallen, sinful image bearers. The only way to begin to do that again, the only way to walk in it again, the only way to enjoy it again, only by the work of God through Jesus the Son and His Holy Spirit are we able to enjoy God's kindness and represent that kindness in an unkind world. I'm going to, I hope, help you see that today and then actually call us to be kind. So let's read the passage, pray, and then dig in. Galatians 5, we're going to begin in verse 16 just for the context to hear it working out in the context that he writes it. But he writes, Paul writes, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned, uh, before, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Let's pray. Father, help us. Help us figure this out. To not just put on uh, a form of kindness that the world would pretend exists and that pretends is truly kind, but help us to really reflect your nature, your character. Help us to understand your character and the ways you've been kind so that we'll know better. All the grace that we've received, all the goodness that you've given us on, on, uh, in and through your Son and what your, your spirit is shaping us to be. Would you move on us today, speak through your word as we read and look to it for not, not just information, but for a transformational work in our hearts, in our minds, and therefore in our lives. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now, Paul makes clear in this passage that the works of the flesh don't produce the things that the Spirit produce. In fact, he says the, the flesh is opposed to the Spirit. The Spirit's opposed to the flesh. They, they don't, it's like oil and water. They don't mix. They don't, one doesn't result in the same thing as the other. They are radically opposed. They are radically opposite. There is a sharp distinction and contrast between the two. And so he demonstrates, at least clearly implies, that without God's work, there is no one who is kindness. Or who is kind, who, who expresses kindness. Now, I know that's a tough pill to swallow. I understand that immediately in our minds we're thinking, well, wait a minute, I have some pretty nice people who aren't Christian. And I think the reason we struggle with that, the reason it begins to be a struggle is immediately because we begin with an idea of what kindness is without recognizing that God is the definition or the source or the definer of the 
expression of what true kindness is. And so we're going to seek to define it. We're going to seek to understand it. But then we're going to look to the scripture to see how the scripture uses this word and expresses it so that we can better understand who God is, what he's done, but then also how he has worked in us, how we've received his kindness, how we can enjoy his kindness, and how we can then reflect his kindness. So let's talk about it. Let's define it. Generally, I think we know, if, if I were to say, hey, define kindness, it might be tough to come up with a word-for-word definition that immediately matches Webster. Maybe you're a walking dictionary, and that's no problem for you, and you can just define that. I think most of us intuit this. Like, we know, what, we know when we're being treated unkind, right? We know when, we're not, when, when someone's being kind to us, we can recognize those things, and we can, oh, well, that's a kind person. That, that person's nice. I, I like them. They're kind to me. We don't really need a dictionary to tell us the difference between them. But here's the problem, and I think it causes us a problem in how we start this conversation. When we start with the English word kind, as someone's kind to you, or someone's expressing kindness towards you, when we start with that word, we then unintentionally impose the meaning of that word on the scripture. When we do that, that causes us problems. For example, with the word love. I think it's easily agreeable in this room at least that we don't want to impose the world's definition or understanding of what love is on the Bible when it uses three different words or at least two different words to demonstrate what God's love is like, right? When it, when it expresses what God's love is like, it, it uses words like agape. And we don't, want to, we don't want to impose the world's understanding, the flesh's understanding, the the idea of popular culture, we don't want to impose that idea on what agape love is. We would totally misrepresent who God is and what his nature and character are like. I think we saw that problem and what maybe even some of you continue to wrestle with that problem around the word joy. I stood up here and I told you joy and happiness are the same thing, at least biblically. But in English, we want to differentiate, especially in Christian circles, we want to say Christians have joy and the world can be happy. And and what we're doing is we're imposing these English terms and our specific understandings and our specific ideals and trying to be very, very nuanced in our conversations. But the Bible has no understanding of that. It uses these words interchangeably. It uses the words uh, uh, translated as joy or happiness. And and, and, um, I'm not going to remember all the different English translations, but there's like uh, 22 Hebrew words and 14 uh, Greek words, or maybe it's the other way. I can't, I can't remember the numbers. I don't have it. When we do that, though, and we impose our understanding of the English word on the text, who's in charge in that? Who's conforming to who? Or who, who's conforming the scripture to them rather than them conforming themselves to the scripture, right? Like, we got to be careful. So when we look at this word and we, we, if, if we immediately begin to impose our understanding of what kindness is and what unkindness is onto the scripture, we're going to run into a problem. So what I want you to do is as much as possible today, I want to encourage you as we speak in English and I talk about kindness, I want you to just for today at least... Begin to think of the Greek word that's used here, that Paul points to as the fruit of the Spirit. It is Christotes. Christotes. It's used only eight times in the New Testament. It's translated either as kindness or goodness. Wait a minute. 
Doesn't Paul say that the fruit of the Spirit is love, peace, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness? It's not to be confused with that word. In fact, Bob's got that word next week. It's not to be confused. There's a nuance. There's a different distinction to be made there. Not, those aren't synonyms. But the reality is, is that across the New Testament, in its eight uses, it is interpreted or it's translated as kindness or goodness. It's the quality, as the scriptures use, as the scripture expresses it, it's the quality of being warm-hearted, considerate, humane, gentle, and sympathetic. Now, I looked this up, and that's not a lot different than Webster or Oxford or Dictionary.com. It's not a lot different than they would translate it. I think the difference comes in the application of it, in what is truly kind based on the action that's being perpetrated. I think the weakness uh, or the, the, the struggle is not so much in, hey, here's the literal definition of the word, word, but what's it look like in action? What happens when we put it into practice? So that's the definition. As we're going to talk about it today, the word we're defining is Christotes. Not just kindness in your regular understanding. And to really understand it and what it truly is, we have to see it in light of who God is. But that leads us first to who we are apart from it. Those who live by the flesh are unkind by nature. Those who live by the flesh are unkind by nature. This is not to say that no one's ever nice to one another or that no one ever uh, is able to interact with one another. That it doesn't mean that everyone is jerks every time they take, go, go into action uh, all the time. That, that, that there's never any courteousness or politeness. That there's no way in which we can relate to one another in which we don't just constantly offend one another. That's not what I'm suggesting. But I'm suggesting and, and building out of this, this view that Paul has presented already is that the works of our flesh do not naturally reflect God's Kindness, his Christotes. It doesn't naturally give way to activity that's for one another. In fact, Paul calls out the works of the flesh, dissension. It doesn't sound like kindness is at play there. Division. Kindness would bring us together, not divide us. Envy. Me being jealous of you, you being jealous of me. If we're really being kind in our understanding of the world's understanding of it, wouldn't we? Wouldn't we be happy when people get ahead? And wouldn't we be rejoicing with those who rejoice rather than being jealous? Conceit. The idea of conceit is not just, hey, I like looking at myself in the mirror, although that is one aspect of it. But conceit is about self-centeredness, selfishness. And Paul lays all this out and contrasts all of this kind of stuff against the, the fruit of the Spirit. There's a, a self-centeredness, a putting ourselves and our own interests in front of others that's expressed naturally in our flesh. It's like we're individual suns trying to be the center of everyone else's gravity, right? None of us want to be a planet. Every one of us want to be the sun. And what, what naturally begins to happen as suns and strong gravitational pulls pull on one another, things begin to crash into one another, explosions and all kinds of problems. This is... This is what Paul's demonstrating here, but this isn't just Paul's idea. It's not just automatically coming up with it. It actually starts all the way back in the Old Testament. In Psalm 53, the psalmist, and, and, and just so you know, the Psalms was written in Hebrew, but as it was translated to Greek, 
And, and uh, the, the Septuagint, in, in the Septuagint, the word Christotes is used to translate these ideas of the Hebrew language. And the psalmist in, in Psalm 53, verses 1 through, 3, 1 through 3, writes, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt, doing abominable iniquity. There is no one who does good. There is no one who is kind. There's no one who is Christotes. God looks down from heaven on, on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all fallen away. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good. There's none who is Christotes. There's none who is kind, not even one. He picks up on that same idea in Romans chapter 3, verse 12. So if you know the flow of, and, and and, and movement of Romans, he opens in Romans 1, presenting the essential nature of the gospel, that he's not ashamed of it, that it's by faith in the gospel that we all live. But then he steps back and he gives us the underlying issue is that we're all sinners. And God's righteous uh, and just wrath is, is, his wrath is just because his righteousness is made evident that his character has been shown, that his eternal nature is on display everywhere we look, and that no man will have an excuse he goes through this list of sins from everything from sexual immorality to, to parents or children disobeying parents that are incorporated in this list of sins. And then he comes to Romans 2. And he says, hey, if you're judging, guess what? You're implicating yourself. Then he makes clear that this is true of everyone. And he brings that argument, that position to a, to a summation in Romans chapter 3. And there's more to the context, but just... Just for the sake of this, let me just call out attention to Romans 3.12, where he quotes from Psalm 53, all have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. No one is Christotes. Not even one. Well, gosh, that's a hard pill to swallow. We... We are unkind people living in an unkind world who pretend that we're kind because we can at least get along to some degree. In fact, actually, Paul is saying it here, the psalmist as well. No one is like God. We still bear his image. We still, we, we, we still are image bearers of God. But we are, we are marred. Our sin has corrupted us from the inside out. And though we are still image bearers, we do not represent nor reflect that character or nature in our flesh. We can't. It's impossible. All we can do is produce more dissension, more division, more in, enmity, more problem, more hurt, more pain. Those who live by the flesh are unkind by nature. How in the world then do we ever get to kindness? How do we ever get to the place where we potentially could be kind to one another? Well, easy, the easy answer is Jesus, right? Like that's the Sunday school answer. Every kid in the room is already thinking it. Jesus, right? Yeah, the gospel. Jesus, 
But, but let's just see it. God's kindness is made known in Christ. God's kindness is made known in Christ. And, and I would just point you to Titus 3. Titus 3, verses 3 through 6. For we ourselves, I love, let me just stop here. I want you to pick up on the, the, the way in which Paul is consistent across his letters. Cooper read from Corinthians just a bit ago. Titus now, he's writing to Titus, who's doing work in Crete. And he's telling Titus to instruct the people in certain ways. And this is why he tells him to instruct them in the ways that he does. For we ourselves were once foolish disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice. Huh. That doesn't sound kind. (laughs) Malice, envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, when the Kindness, when the Christotes and loving kindness, that's the philanthropy, the, 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 the love and affection of our God. When the Christotes, when the kindness, when the goodness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. The only way we have, the only path to kindness, the only path in which kindness can truly be appreciated, that can truly be expressed, is having first received it and recognized it in who God is and what He's done. And Jesus made it plain to us in His appearance. So you want to know what kindness looks like? You, you want to know what, what love and affection looks like? Look at Jesus. And when you've looked at Jesus, you've looked at the Father. That's what he told his apostles. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He and I are one. There's no distinction to be made. And the Spirit, the Holy Spirit transforms us, produces this in us. God's kindness is made known in Christ and then produced in his people by his Spirit. So we aren't trying to put on the kindness that the world would claim as kind. We aren't trying to to become something that everyone in the world pretend they are. We're seeking to look like the Father in heaven who sent his Son and empowered us by his Spirit to again represent and reflect him in this fallen, sinful, selfish world. God's kindness is made known in Christ And it's by God's kindness that then we become kind. It's by God's kindness that we then become kind. And and here's the reality is if he doesn't do this work first, if he doesn't start this work, do this work, and continue this work, we're in trouble. His kindness is what leads us to repentance. Again, back to the book of Romans. So Paul is making the case that everyone's a sinner. And he comes to the beginning of Romans chapter 2 and he says, hey, by the way, if you begin to pick out everybody else's sin and condemn them in their sin, you implicate yourself. He then turns and says, as Romans 2, 4, or do you presume on the riches of his Christotes, of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness, his Christotes, is meant to lead you to repentance. To continue in sin or to call out sin in others while we ignore our own? While we pretend we don't have it? While we act as if we're better 
that we've earned something. Look at who I am. Look at all the ways in which I don't. Oh, I'm kind. Look at my kindness. It's to presume on God's kindness rather than taking advantage of why he shows it to us. Why does he show it to us? So that we can actually deal with our sins, so that we can actually walk in repentance, so that we can actually see the lies for what they are and see the truth for what it is and we can quit believing the lies and begin to believe the truth. So that as we quit believing the lies and begin believing the truth, we quit living in light of the lies and actually living in the darkness of the lies and begin to live in the light of the truth. So that it does begin to to effectually show itself, to reveal itself in a life that reflects him more regularly, more naturally. In his kindness, he provided a solution for our sin. He didn't ignore it. Now, honestly, I think this is one of the problems with the world's view of kindness. Is that to be kind in the world is to meet people where they're at and never actually confront them. To never actually say... That's not good. But brother, sister, Christian, let me assure you that that is not the way God practices kindness. In his kindness, he doesn't ignore sin. He doesn't pretend it exists. He demonstrates the absolute uh, uh, brokenness of it and then provides a solution for it. He doesn't, he, doesn't just, uh, he doesn't just tolerate sin as if, oh, okay, well, I'm just going to deal with sin and I'm not going to do anything about it. He doesn't let you continue in sin. In his kindness, he actually meets you and expects you to walk differently, to live differently. So, so don't presume on his kindness. He, he then... He, he, he helps us, right? His kindness leads us to repentance. Imagine how unkind it is if he would see all of our sin and not do anything about it. How unkind would it be if he knows our deepest problems and he knows our end result but does nothing to affect it or give an opportunity for something different? How unkind would it be For a doctor to see a tumor growing in a patient and then to tell the patient, you're healthy, go on, just live your life, it'll be okay. How unkind would it be for a judge who sees a criminal standing before them and thinks, ah, there's no hope, I'm just going to let him go. It's not just unkind to to the person in front of them. It's unkind to the people that are sending the criminal back out among them. How unkind would it be for God to know your sin, the desperate need your sin has caused, and then to pretend as if it doesn't exist or to just sweep it under the rug? I think that's what the world would call kind. Just be silent. Don't confront. Don't challenge. Don't speak truth. Just let me have my sin. We can't be this unkind. His kindness leads us to repentance, and his kindness keeps us in repentance. Paul continues to develop the arguments that he's dealing with and presenting all the way through the book of Romans to where he comes in Romans 
9 through 11, and he begins to show the election of God at work in the world and history. Then he comes to the place where he begins to show how, how God, in his election of Jerusalem, and even though they failed, there was still purpose. He was still God. He was still at work. But in Romans eleven twenty two, he writes, Note, then, the kindness and the severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided to you in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. So don't dismiss that in his kindness, he is not also willing to take a stand, a bold and strong and courageous stand, that he's not going to hold a person accountable, that he's, not going, to, that he's going to just overlook the sin. And he's writing this as a warning to these Gentile Christians who were, who were being grafted into the olive tree, that, that Jerusalem was representative of the olive tree. Their sin was clear. Their failure was, was, was noted. And he says that they have been cut off. And Gentiles have been grafted in. He says, note this. Don't miss the kindness of God. And don't dismiss the severity of God. Because both are true of God. His severity doesn't override his kindness, nor his kindness override his severity. But we should hear this as a warning. Don't pretend that you can go live your life however you want and, I, and, and it not have any consequence on your relationship with the Lord. That if you've started repenting, you must continue in repentance if there's going to be any truth to the reality that God is working you. If God has saved you by His Spirit, that we don't maintain that by our flesh. We walk in the Spirit. That's Paul's point in Galatians. We walk in the Spirit and that transforming work of the Spirit reveals itself in how we live our lives. And we continue in this. The reality is if we don't, and I'm not talking about a, a, a momentary hiccup, a, a momentary struggle, a season of wrestling with your faith and doubt. I'm talking about when it becomes clear that you have just written him off and would have nothing to do with him anymore. God's kindness to you is yours, provided you continue in his kindness. So it serves as a warning to us that on the other side of his kindness, there is something much worse. I would long for each and every one of you to only ever know his kindness and never experience that severity, that the wrath that comes, that the just wrath that comes as a result of our sin. Further, it gives us something to look forward to in eternity, to, to, to plan on and hope for and long for an even greater experience of that kindness. In Ephesians chapter 2, he opens chapter 2 by saying, we were dead, we were sinful, we were trapped, we were, we were enslaved. Verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. All of this work he's done in Christ, that he has made us one with him, that he has seated us in the heavenly realms with him. He's brought us from death to life. And then Paul gives us some understanding of why he did it. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace 
in kindness so that you experience his kindness in, in more manifold ways, in exponential ways, in a multiplicity of ways that, that now you, you've got an idea of what his kindness is like. But then his kindness will overflow and it'll be so abundant we won't know where to look and not see kindness. Why wouldn't we want that? Why wouldn't we move to that? Why wouldn't we long I mean, just, just live for that? To avoid his severity, to long for his kindness. I want to continue in repentance. And where I don't yet know that I fully understand that I need to repent, I want to turn in repentance. Help me, God. His kindness leads us to repentance and it, it, it encourages us to continue in repentance. It gives us so much to look forward to. He has something better. His kindness. It's hard to imagine that it could be better. But it will become even more abundant, even more clear. So, so, so the world is the flesh doesn't naturally produce kindness. God's kindness is made known in Christ, in the gospel of Christ. It's by God's kindness in that we become kind, and it leads us into repentance, and it keeps us in repentance. Because God is kind, His Spirit makes us kind. That's what Paul is pointing out here in Galatians chapter 5. We don't continue in this by the flesh. We don't continue in this by the works of the law. We don't continue and produce this stuff in and of ourselves. This is God's work. And just point out, if he wasn't kind, he couldn't make us kind. It's because of his kindness. It's because of who he is that he's able to make us like him. His kindness is, is, is then the source of our Kindness. It's the Spirit's transforming work. But here's a, here's a problem I think that we, we, we get into. We look at this fruit of the Spirit and we, we sit around and we want to enjoy it. We want to appreciate it. We want to, oh man, look at what God's doing. I really appreciate that. And we, we make it about ourselves. But here's what's it's so powerful, I think. Maybe, maybe you won't see it as, as impactful, but it's, it just struck me as we've been studying this that, that these first three fruits of the Spirit, the, the love, the joy, the peace, these, these really are internal transformations, like God changing our heart to be one of love that reflects His love. To changing our hearts to be ones that are happy even as circumstances around us are strained and difficult. To be one, a heart that is at peace. But that as, it, as soon as he begins to talk about how these things transform us internally, he begins to speak about the way they get revealed externally. Patience, as Ricky called out, long-suffering with one another. So that we don't just begin to look like God in our, in our being. We don't just begin to feel like God and think like God. We begin to act like him. Long-suffering with other people kind like God has been to us towards other people. See, because God is kind, His Spirit makes us kind because He couldn't do it if He wasn't. But because He is, He does. That's how good He is. That's how kind He is. But because God's Spirit has made, makes us kind, we must be kind. It actually becomes an expectation and responsibility. Because God's Spirit makes us kind, we must be kind. 
And so then Paul, again, using this word, the, the, the one who uses this word repeatedly in the New Testament, eight times in the New Testament, calling it out again to the church in Colossae, Colossians 3, 12 through 13, put on them as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness. Put this on. He's producing it in you. He's making you like him. He's enabling you to reflect him. Then you put it on. You express it. You begin to treat others as he has treated you. Kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another... Forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. How unkind would it be, having been forgiven everything by God, you refuse to extend that same kind of forgiveness to someone else? How unkind would it be for, for us, to, uh, us to complain about one another, sit around and, and be frustrated with one another when God has bore with us Ephesians, again, Paul writing now to the church in Ephesus, Ephesians 4, 31 through 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with malice. That's a big call. Not some of it. Not bits of it. All of it. Bitterness, wrath, anger. Wait a minute. In the passage before, he said, be angry, do not sin. Don't let, your sun go down on your, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Just put it away. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with malice. It should not mark our relationships. It shouldn't be at work between us. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Be Christotes to one another. There are some, and I, I don't know if this is true. I can't prove it. I'm just listening to some of the Greek scholars that I've studied from and some of the lexicons. There are some that would suggest that because of the similarity of Christotes to even the name Christian and in the Greek language, the, the similarities and the seeming connections, that really what he's calling us to do and be is Christ-like. Be representations of Jesus in this world world. The only way we can do that is if Jesus has saved us and his spirit is transforming us. But if he has, we must do these things. The idea is to act and treat one another as God has treated us. And that's what God, that's what the spirit is doing. He is making us look like God. He is making us reflect the character and the nature of God so that we love like God, so that we are rejoicing with his joy, that we are, that we are at peace because he's given us peace, that we're patient and long-suffering with others like he's been patient and long-suffering with us, and, and we're kind to one another in the same way he's been kind to us. So that you and I begin to look and be conformed to the image of Jesus, his son. This is the spirit's work that produces these aspects of his fruit. So that as the tapestry of your life, as the, as the work of art that he, is, that he is putting together, is drawn together. It's not you he exalts, but it's his son that gets exalted. How else will a world that doesn't know him see him? 
How else will a church who believes in him but has never seen him experience him? Unless by his spirit we put this on and act this way. So I just want to close with some thoughts, some questions really for you to consider just to measure yourself just a bit. Is your kindness given even when people don't deserve it? Or are you only kind because people have been kind to you? So God's kindness met us in our sin, not because we deserved it, but because he is kind, right? Love is patient. Love is kind. God is love. So he is patient and he is kind. And to one degree or another, everyone has experienced this kindness, that there's any offer made publicly to all people demonstrates his kindness to all people. Is your kindness given when people don't deserve it? Is your kindness costly to you? His kindness is a benefit to us, but it came at great cost to him. How did he make his kindness known to you? Through the appearance of his son. What did Jesus have to carry? He, he had to humble himself to take on the likeness of man. This, this God who created us in his image took on our likeness to walk among us. He took the form of a servant. He humbled him to the, himself to the point of death. Not any death, but a death on a cross. He died as a criminal under false accusations. It came at great cost. Is your kindness costly? And here's, here's the thing. This is, I, I love that Paul demonstrates this as fruit. And I think it's something that, again, we, we so often are quick to try to enjoy that fruit ourselves. But the apple tree doesn't bear direct benefit from its apples. Right? Who gets to eat the apple? Who gets to enjoy the, the, the succulent, the, 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 the juiciness, the, the taste? And my favorite happens to be at this time a um, crisp. Come on, crisp. Honey crisp. Man, I love a honey crisp. You bite into that, and it just is like, I don't know. I, I, it's wonderful. Crisp, it crunches, it squirts juice out sometimes, you know. Sprays on your face a little bit. Tastes so good. Mmm, so good. Right? I'm not saying that the apple tree can't benefit from an apple to some degree. Maybe as they fall and rot, it provides some nutrients to the, to the tree. But who's the apple for? As you're kind and it's costing you, who's it benefiting? Right? Who's being blessed because of your kindness? How's it costing you and benefiting others? Or is it simply self-serving? Is your kindness leading others to repentance? Are you being so kind to your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, the people in your life that they actually hear that there is an opportunity to deal with their sin and that walking and continuing in sin is actually destructive? Is it leading people? Are you, are you helping them see that there's something better to be had? Sometimes we act as if to be kind is not to confront. In fact, I think that's the world. Oh, man, these people are mean and hateful and backwards. And they demand we live according to God's word. Yeah. That's actually a kind thing to do. It's actually a loving thing to do. 
to love someone so much that as you're kind to them, that you confront their sins so that they have the opportunity to repent and to see a better path. Is your kindness leading others to repentance? Is your kindness leading action that requires no law? Paul Paul finishes the fruit of the Spirit, the list of the fruit of the Spirit, and, and he says, against such things there is no law. It's because there doesn't need to be a law to inhibit kindness. Right? The the reason for the law is because of sin. And then it increases sin because we can't live up to the law. We don't need rules to tell us how how, how not to be kind. We don't need rules to tell us to be kind because if he's doing it in us, he's producing it in us, it will be evident in us and from us. Is your kindness leading to action that requires no law that you don't need a rule to go do some act of kindness? That you're not waiting for 88.3 to start talking about their random acts of kindness and then you decide to do something at the drive-thru. But just because who God is making you to be, you strive to be kind in all your dealings with everyone. Is your kindness demonstrating the evidence of God's transformative work in your life. Love, joy, peace, all of these internal transformations that should begin to be revealed externally. Love is patient. Love is kind. Can people see your love in action? Paul commending himself to the Corinthian church, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 4 through 6. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance in afflictions, in hardships, in calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. All these things we're suffering because of God's mission commend us to you to be trustworthy servants. But then he goes on, by purity Knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love. Is your life and the ways that you live it reflective of God's work in you so that people can identify that you are one of God's people because you love and are kind according to God's kindness, not their definition of kindness? Only by the work of God through Jesus the Son and His Holy Spirit are we able to enjoy God's kindness. Because if we, if we don't continue in His kindness, and one day we will deal with His severity, we will only ever fully enjoy His kindness as we continue in repentance. And that's only going to happen by the work of the Spirit. And represent that kindness in an unkind world we will only ever be kind like god has been kind if the spirit produces us produces it in us how do we get there walk in the spirit know his word believe his word trust his word walk in the light of his word walk in step with the gospel Put on the things that he's doing in you as he's transforming your heart. Display them publicly for the world to see. And how can we be kind to one another? And how can a world see what kindness really looks like if we don't express it in and among our brothers and sisters in Christ?
be kind to one another, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. But maybe you're recognizing today, I've never been kind because I've never trusted the Savior and I've really presumed on his kindness. Don't miss the warning that's inherent in these passages. Do not, do not walk away and presume on his kindness and one day face his severity. Repent, turn, and begin to follow him and trust in him and watch the Spirit do his work in one day. I think you'll be able to commend yourself. He has made me kind, just like he is kind. Let's pray.